0: Hello and welcome to Two Hearts a new who podcast. I am Callum and I'm James. And this, and is, this the is the podcast only podcast where, where... Stop, stop repeating, repeating me. me.
1: Stop that. Stop that. Stop, stop, stop this. this. Oh. <laughs> Hey folks, it is James here from the future, just jumping in here to say that uh, this episode was originally recorded um, back in November of 2021, and so we spent a lot of time talking about potential flux theories and news that is just completely irrelevant now. So um, instead, you're going to enjoy that fun little joke at the beginning, and then we're going to dive right into the episode proper. Thank you so much for listening. As always, stay safe, be kind, etc., etc. Love y'all what's that is the clock striking midnight because it's time to talk about this episode of doctor who it's eleven thirty-nine in the morning james i liked my jokes so i'm going to cut out your joke <laughs> <laughs> Midnight is episode 10 of series 4 of the Doctor Who revival. It was written by Russell T. Davies and directed by Alice Troughton. So essentially, uh, the Doctor and Donna land on a, uh, I guess like an up-and-coming, uh, resort planet. Um, they are building like a high-end retreat on this planet that is essentially formed entirely of crystallized, uh, radiated diamonds, basically. So the surface is incredibly toxic to all life. Nothing lives on, um, the planet which is called Midnight. Uh, Donna is like, hey, you know, last week I got put into a fake reality where I thought I had kids, so I might just hang out by the pool this week if that's okay. Um, so the doctor goes off on a little uh, like expedition tour with a bunch of other tourists to go and see uh, this like I don't know Medusa Cascade or some some wanky name. Anyway, <clears throat> they're all out on their way. They're driving in this like little truck thing together, and then they break down. Uh, essentially, something starts banging on the outside. Everyone's like, but that's impossible. Nothing's alive on midnight. Until eventually one of the passengers becomes uh, essentially possessed by whatever it was that was outside. Um, This passenger is named Sky. She ends up going on to essentially uh, mimic and emulate a lot of the speech patterns of whoever's talking to her at the time before eventually uh, getting ahead of who she's mimicking, which happens to be the Doctor. She steals his voice, tries to get him murdered in the process. Uh, Humanity around them completely crumbles, as it is wont to do in a desperate situation, trapped together, until eventually uh, the hostess does the courageous thing, steps forward and sacrifices herself to kill the creature, setting the Doctor free. And then the episode ends with him going back to see Donna and being like, that really fucked me up. Um, It's very simple, and yet... Probably one of the best episodes the show has ever made.
0: No denying it. Can I tell you my favourite Adelaide uh, connection to this episode? Sure. For
1: those listening at home, we live in Adelaide. So that's why he's
0: bringing this up. (laughs) We live in Adelaide. We live in the the city of Adelaide in, in Australia. In the Adelaide fringe of 2016, a group of entrepreneurial actors um did a stage adaptation of this show really and it was um it was it was truly um something to behold
1: (laughs) i'm sad i didn't get to see it i think even if it was terrible which it sounds like it was that would have been really interesting to watch well
0: the review there's one review and it noted the last line is probably only of interest to really hardcore Hoovians.
1: That is a death knell for any product, and I'm pretty sure I saw somebody say that about that new Doctor Who game. So, oof. Um, oof. <laughs> yeah, oof, indeed. Anyway, Callum, Midnight, what do you think? What do you say? You know,
0: truly, we have this problem every time we come up against an episode that has such a high stature, such a good reputation um, of being like, where do where does one start? And. I think a great place for us to start, knowing our history on this show, is David Tennant. Mr. Tennant. Mr. Tennant, you've-, you've what- what have you done to me?
1: Where, where were you hiding this? <laughs> <laughs> he was
0: always this good. I just think that this is an episode that- More than any other episode, like, that focuses on him, like, Last of the Time Lords or... Maybe that's not a good example. But, like, Human Nature, majority of season three. Like, this is an episode that really places the focus on him and isn't kind either. And... Yes, agreed. It's so good to finally see Russell come good for the first time on the... Threat, I think, he's made to the Doctor's character mm-hmm. for such a long time with this particular incarnation. I don't think this stuff was particularly present with Chris Freckleston, even though it was like peppered in there. Um, but with David Tennant in particular, the pride and the arrogance has always been there. It goes back to his very first episode where he, you know, deposed uh, Harriet Smith with like six words, and yeah you know we're going to see it also continue into the specials but it's 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 so good to see this kind of episode come out and it's so good for Russell too because this is probably his i mean i think turn left is the better episode not that it's worth comparing the two um but this is probably his best written episode and it shows because it's one of the more cynical Mm, episodes that he's written for And we've
1: talked about this many times before, but, like, we both tend to think that um, Russell T. Davies is a much better writer when he's allowed to be cynical and a bit more pessimistic about things. And Midnight is... It's a pretty damning indictment of not only humanity, but also the Doctor, as you were just saying. Like, Mm. this episode goes out of its way to essentially make sure that you and as an audience member understand that, like... Everyone on that little uh, tourist ship is is culpable in some way, except for the the only victim, which is um uh, what is her name? Sky. Sky. Yes. Um. So the way that this. Taps into a lot of that groundwork that they have been building up with the Doctor, which they, they essentially go back to ignoring again for a little bit longer until the very end of Tennant's run. Um, but this idea that the arrogance and the swagger and the confidence that we've come to enjoy about specifically David Tennant's incarnation of this character is or would be a detriment in certain situations and is actually more of a character flaw than it is mm. a, um, a, positivity, a a a positivity, positive thing, um, is such a fascinating thing to essentially build an episode around, while also at the same time making just an astoundingly cost-effective and efficient horror story. Um, like, even if you took away all of the in-depth thematic Doctor work that you and I love so much, this is still just like a banger little episode. Um, but it does allow David Tennant to step beyond those big speeches. You know, um, I feel like we've used The Doctor's Daughter as a bad example of how this season can do things a few times now, but, you know, The Doctor's Daughter is another really good example of it's a big speech and it's meant to make you feel something and you and I ended up feeling quite cold about all of it because it just felt so rote. And then in this episode, it flips that entirely and his big speech... Is sort of preemptively cut off at the past Because it's just not going to work with these people It's not appropriate for this situation Um, And so it allows David Tennant to tap into What does it look like when the doctor is afraid When the doctor loses control of a situation Totally I do want to go back to one point you made
0: earlier before, sorry um, Where you were talking about the doctor's swagger And like his charm and all those things And this is the one aspect of him as a... Not him, I know that... There's no gender now, really, to ascribe to this character. Um, So you can just cut all that out. Um, I think this goes back to this character. Like, the best parts of this character is the fact that they are... They look human, but aren't human. And the ways in which different writers have interpreted that. And it always reminds me of my... Like, pretty much my favourite Clara line ever because i know you love your little clara (laughs) um and it's in kill the moon and it's the best scene ever and it's where she's taking pete capaldi's doctor to task and the one line that i love is like she says she's something like you know you come here you make us your friends uh and just that observation that you know she's that she makes in that scene of being like you know you, you come to this planet and you 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 integrate yourself with us. That isn't, mm. like, you're not a tourist in that respect. You are, like, you, you have to take some responsibility for, like, the way that you act and you can't dip in and out. And I think that that is the yeah. best part of this episode. Is like, the Doctor is literally a tourist in this episode. He's literally <laughs> on this bus going and sightseeing. But the way in which he interacts with humans and the way in which he... Interacts with the world is of someone who is aloof and above it all. And he gets taken to task in this episode because he is rendered powerless by this scenario. He is rendered completely ineffective. And it is so interesting to watch and to see. Um, I made a lot of notes in my my notes about, like, metaphors that this episode is going for. And you came up against them, a few of them, and you were like, this is pretty grandstanding um but i think it's really helpful to think about this episode not necessarily as a metaphor but to look at all the different characters on this bus and to consider how they could be flips or reversals of russell t tropes because you have the Mm. traditional family unit and you have the professor type you have the hostess um you have the, the the working class truck drivers Um, maybe they're not such a good example. You have sky who's like a surrogate companion and all the different ways in which those characters mirror or flip traditional those traditional characters and otherwise in other episodes of Dr. Who, I I don't think I'm saying anything Mm -hmm. new in that respect, but like, you know, the family turning out to be quite vile and the mother in particular, just like, uh, cruel is so mm. it, it's a follow through on the way Russell writes mothers in particular, but taken to that logical extreme. And then you have the, the, oh, I love the professor and DD like mirror of the doctor companion relationship as well. And like the yeah. way in which the professor's arrogance mirrors the doctors in this one. I, I just, sorry, I will stop talking because I don't think I'm being, making a coherent <laughs> point anymore. No, 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 you absolutely are. This is all really good. Um, But it's, it's, ah, it just, what does this episode say about Russell's vision of the world? Mm. Ultimately is
1: what I come away thinking about. Yeah. I mean, the guy definitely has, um, I mean, like, you've also got to put it in the context of this was what, 13 years ago, (laughs) whatever it was. Um, you know, this is definitely uh, a different era of Russell's writing and arguably, um, because how, how soon after this is um, Children of Earth? Children of Earth is um, 2009. It's like next year. Right. Perfect. Yeah. So, you know, he leaves Doctor Who, essentially, and immediately writes the darkest piece of sci-fi I've ever seen the BBC <laughs> produce. Um, you know, like, I, I think that he is at the end of his... Towards the end of his run here with the show, he is now starting to grapple with the tension between what maybe the doctor who monolith needs from him and maybe what he actually wants to be saying with it. Um, which is, you can see that that cynicism and that edge is now seeping into a lot of his character work here. Um, I think it's, you know, infinitely for the better, even if, uh, the way that his whole run wraps up is really wonky shit. Um, you do get these little like bursts of like, to me, what seems like the real writer coming through here. Um, so I, I definitely really fuck with your interpretation there that he is using this little, you know, nothing episode that a producer wouldn't really look twice at, you know, because it, I imagine the budget for this was super low. Like it's not special effects heavy. It's it's one location. It's just a bunch of actors in a little box yelling at each other. Um, and yet it is it's profound and and quite effective as a means of conveying this um this version of RTD that, that I am that I am quite fond of. Um, you know, you said the mum is a really good example of his kind of like dark attributes for motherhood sort of taken to that extreme. I think she has that line with the doctor um, where she's like, where he says, oh, I just, I'm traveling around. She's like, what, like an immigrant? Mm. And it just just cuts through. And like, yeah, it's as as subtle as a a freight train, but it doesn't need to be subtle. Do you know what I mean? Like this is the part of the episode where the knives have come out kind of thing. Um, And it just, it's such a Russell line, you know? It is. And, you know, I don't think it needs to be it's not like they then
0: stop and have a conversation about immigration. It's just one line. True. It says, speaks yeah. buckets about who she is as a person mm-hmm. and the world she's come yeah. from and, you know, about her family and the kind of values that she imparts upon them. I, I, that economic storytelling that I, we've spoken about before on this show is something I really value. And it is here in such great detail. It's in such um. It's used such good effect. There's the line where, you know, I love the way that Sky is getting more and more agitated as the bus breaks down and the creature starts banging on the outside. And then she says, you know, she says she'd come for me. And it's not commented on. Mm. And we don't know what she's talking about or anything about, like, where, like, the the relationship she's running away from. That's brought her to this point. But it just says so much about who she
1: is. Like, oh, it's so good. (laughs) It's... (laughs) It's so. It good. Is. like it's an exciting bit of writing to talk about, um, for sure. Like the the script is just it's so tight. Let's just talk. Let's just talk broadly
0: about each of these characters and what they're doing because it's like quite a fascinating episode. There's uh, there's Sky, uh, which we can get to in a bit when we talk about the horror of this episode. But there's the Professor and Dee Dee, um, as well. I think the Professor is such a gross character, but I love him. Um, and obviously the relationship he has with Dee Dee is like not he it's quite uh
1: charged?
0: Charged? Yeah. Yes. It's it's that typical professor assistant role of like, you know, carry the test tubes and help me out, which is how in the seventies the doctor like the Terence Dix described the doctor's relationship with his companions. He's like, the companion just needs to be someone who passes my test tubes and tells you how good they are. Mm-hmm. Um Obviously, the role of the companion has advanced much further than that, but that DNA is still there in the way the show treats the companions. And so, I can't help but look at the Dee Dee relationship and, like, her meekness, uh, but obvious cleverness um, and obvious, like, emotional intelligence um, Mm -hmm. against the professors as a very clear indication... Like, a very clear, warped version of the Doctor-Companion relationship. Um... The line yeah, at the I'd agree with that. at the end when he's like, you know, your average at best. Oh, it cuts me. And it's also because like I feel like the doctor is like maybe one or two lines away from saying that to any of his companions in a tense moment.
1: Uh well, especially this doctor, you know. Yeah. Um like it's it's odd. I I could never imagine Capaldi saying that to a companion. Um, but Smith and Tennant, I could definitely see that edge coming out, you know?
0: Mm. Hmm. Mm.
1: Um. You know, you already talked before about how the the family dynamic. You know, Russell is a writer who um, is is oddly sort of very um, enamored with the the traditional family dynamic. You know, the mom, the dad, and the kid. Like he, he seems to think that the domestic bliss is is very much something that needs to be chased by some of these characters, as we see with. Um, well, all of them by the end of the season. Um, But, you know, again, here you do get like a really nice subversion of it. You know, that that white picket fence family is actually secretly, you know, racist and hateful and, uh, you know, ready to to toss out something that they don't understand. Um, You know, partly in self-defense, but also partly just because there is always an element of seething hatred. Yeah, underneath some of these people and i think you know giving them the opportunity like this to explore that darker side of humanity um you know it's, it's something that happens a lot in fiction you know stephen king's the mist is another really good one that comes to mind but um yeah it's fun seeing russell play with these toys
0: yeah definitely um i think the the mum character is very uh, yeah like i said before very good uh kind of inversion of the uh the way he writes mums in particular um the Jethro character is
1: not, I think there's not much to say about him other than. No, he he's kind of the most toothless of the um, commentary stand-ins, I suppose. It's just like, oh yeah, moody teenager. <laughs> well, he kind
0: of flips in and out. He's like at an occasion. He's uh, like with the doctor and then he's influenced by his family to go against him. Like he's, it, he's in the same position as like DD Dee Dee of being someone who has like, obviously a different opinion, but is, swayed by mob mentality um the
1: forces around them for sure the
0: only one who i don't really get for lack of a better word is the hostess um i wrote in my notes that it was interesting that she liked the doctor and they make a big point of like the doctor like the, the passengers want the doctor to tell him them uh his real name and he's like john smith and they go that's a fake name and then at the end, like the doctor says, you know, the hostess, does anyone know her real name? And they all say no. And I think it's supposed to be just like, oh, she was just there, but we never bothered to get to know her kind of yeah. a line. Um, but I can't help but wonder if there's anything more to it, especially because her like self-sacrifice just kind of comes out of nowhere.
1: Yeah. Yeah, like, she has a really good kind of... Th- there is a build-up in that, you know, she is watching um, after... Uh, I forget her name again. Sky? Sky. After Sky, uh, or a- Alien Sky, um, does its full, like, stealing of the Doctor's voice, um, you know, everybody else in that cabin is kind of like, oh, it passed from her to him, like, he's the one that's infected now. And she's sort of the only one that's like, hang on hang on um and like all of that's uh really good i like her sort of like slow dawning of realization that if she doesn't herself do something like this whole situation is fucked at this point um because sky is using her newfound ability to move and voice as a means of like telling them to toss the doctor out um all that stuff is fantastic and we'll talk about that horror stuff in a minute um but yeah the hostess is just kind of like you know she's quietly observing a lot of it I I think it would have made a bit more sense to me had earlier on when they're all discussing if they can throw Sky out the airlock if the hostess had maintained that no we can't do this Um, I get that you can't really do that because you need the doctor to be the single voice that stands out to make him as alienated as he is from the rest of the crowd but you're right then when Sky does end up sort of doing this amazing thing uh, not Sky when the hostess ends up doing this thing at the end um, it does kind of feel a little bit like oh well um, I okay, I, I guess that's, that's you now, you know? <laughs>
0: exactly. And it kind of makes you think like, you know, they already had a plan where they were going to throw, like it. mostly it makes me think about like, okay, so the plan that they had in their head was that, you know, they were going to throw Sky out and then they were going to throw the doctor out. And it kind of makes me think, okay, it was always the plan for them for one of them to kill themselves doing that. And I don't think that's the case. And it just makes me think, was that a mistake? Like, did she unintentionally Mm. kill herself or like, uh, Mm. you know, I don't think it it plays like that. Um, But um, it, it, to me, like it puts all those earlier instances where they were like, we should throw them out. We should throw them out as like, especially dumb because the idea that they would have like, one of them would have ended up like killing themselves as a result of that. Mm. makes you think like you know that was never a good planet from the start it was like e- even though we know it's not morally like it's just a dumb thing to do anyway yeah. I, that point escaped me um <laughs> but yeah <laughs> no no i think she's probably I, 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 the I, I I see where you're coming from i think she's probably the most underbaked character which is a shame uh but i maybe there was just it too is. much
1: too much airtime to devote to her fully <laughs> Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, agreed. Um, the only other like passenger that we do really need to talk about, and she's going to serve as a great way to segue into the more like plot actual happenings of this episode is, is Skye, who is this really fascinating little bundle of a person. Like you want to talk about how an entire episode can hinge on a performance. Um, I don't know the actress's name. Do you know? Leslie Sharp. Leslie Sharp just pulls it the fuck out as, as uh, sky, especially, you know, beforehand she has a, a couple of really nice moments with the doctor where she's talking about how, um, a queer icon, <laughs> you know, her and her girlfriend have <laughs> split up and, um, how, you know, she's obviously feeling some type of way about that. And then the way she gets to pivot into that, like like you mentioned before, that really great scene where she's quite terrified when there's banging going on outside of the thing. And she's like, Oh, it's coming for me. She's coming for me. Um, you know, that's really good. And then she goes quiet. And then when you finally, you know, she's sitting in the corner on her own and they're like, Oh, sky, are you okay? And they turn her around and she's just gone. Like the, the character that we knew as sky is completely gone. It's replaced by this, this thing, this entity that's uh, sort of haunting them. Um, and it is just exceptional acting.
0: Oh, truly. Um, I think the script says thing, like she turns around and she's insane or whatever you want Mm. to describe it. Um, and uh, yeah, like when she does that turnaround around and she's just like blank face. Oh, yeah, it's chills. Yeah. Um.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: And it's so it's it's almost like a Moffat kind of um device of turning, like you know how like kids repeat stuff back at parents or like when they're being insolent and they're just like yeah you know, me 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 me. Um, it's that <laughs> same device of turning like quite a childlike device into um something terrifying. Um, yes. that Moffat does so well. Um, and you know, when she starts repeating them all, it's odd. Cause it's like, you know, it doesn't really kick in for me, at least the unsettlingness of it doesn't kick in until she's speaking with them. And you yeah. can hear all the characters saying their lines with this, like undercurrent voice underneath it. Um,
1: mm. Oh, it, yeah, it's uh, It's chilling. It is. I I, I messaged you or I I spoke to you after I've watched this and I was like, it's one of the rare episodes of Doctor Who that makes like, it makes my chest tight. Like I I get genuinely tense watching Mm. this. Um, And you know, Doctor Who, it it can be spooky and it can be a lot of different things, but I find it's rarely ever properly scary. Um, And I I do think that Midnight and um, her performance uh, as the the thing, um, which, you know, the John Carpenter's The Thing is actually another really interesting kind of like uh, tether point for this i would say the idea of something that invades a human space and then starts emulating their behavior to try to um fit in with them you know love all of that mm. very classic horror kind of setup here um Yeah, the the, the speaking back and the repeating is really good. Um, Obviously, the moment when it shifts from repeating to saying at the same time and you realize there's like an escalation going on, you know, when the doctor starts getting scared is when I start getting very like, (laughs) something's Mm. up. Mm. Um, And it
0: plays very much like a traditional horror film because it's of the like, it's the unknown. It's the, I don't know what this is and what's happening to me. And I don't know what the pattern is because like, this has never happened before kind of thing. Yeah. And so when she does start speaking with them and then, you know, and then isolates just the doctor's voice, it's like, what's going to come next? Mm. We have no, we have just have no clue what's going to come next. Exactly.
1: Um, You want to talk about, oh.
0: No, I think we're both about to say the same thing. (laughs) What were you going to say?
1: The like minimalism, how there's, there's no special effects or design for the alien. It's just a voice. Oh yeah. And I think there was something in the script about like,
0: one of the scenes is like it goes for 20 pages and like normally a scene in a film script is like two or something Mm. um which just speaks i think to like how much this plays like a stage play essentially um yeah
1: truly truly um there's a, a scene early on where the doctor goes up to the cockpit of the um the vehicle and they pull up the like you know blinds or whatever so they can be like oh let's just have a look at the planet's surface um and there's a, one of the uh, pilots is like, oh, well, I, I could have sworn I just saw something moving. And then when the blind starts to come back down, he's like, oh, there it is again. And when they're like, what did you see? They're like, oh, it looks like a shadow, like it was running towards us. And, you know, I, I watched that scene like twice over, like straining my eyes to see if they actually showed you anything. And like, I'm, I'm sure that they absolutely don't because there is no special effect here. There's no, there's no monster. There's no, like... There's nothing to grab onto other than the idea that there is something happening to these people. You know, when it's on the outside, you just hear it banging. You see, like, the physical damage it does to the ship and obviously then what it goes on to do to Sky. But you never actually see it. It mm. itself is just, like, a shadow of an idea of a threat. Um, I just... I love it so much.
0: And I think that that, like, one of the other aspects that it goes pretty much unexplored in this episode is, like this idea of culture and colonizing of culture. Um, and I'm, I'm reading this into it. Um, but um, the, like this idea of the monster, this monster, the midnight monster um, kind of injecting itself into this and then emulating and mirroring these people. It's like, it, I, for me, it like places a special emphasis on, The fact that, like, these are people who've come to this planet, have no idea of any indigenous life form, of any culture of any kind, and have just, like, wandered into this planet without full view of the facts. Um, There's the, like, make a a point in the, like, the professor's speech uh, presentation of being, like, you know, no one's ever set foot on this planet, no one knows if there's any, like, life here, like, no one knows the history of this planet, Um, which places this episode in the kind of cosmic horror genre for me um of an unknowable planet um but then also invites you to think like well you know (laughs) were there how long have there been people here how many of these creatures are there like what we we at the end we don't have any of the answers to those questions um and this creature and in terms of like what if there are indigenous life on this planet, what they actually do. um, Like, have they just been waiting for someone to come this entire time to then get off planet? Like, and it's sort of a similar Mm -hmm. thing that Russell then does in the waters of Mars of the, like the idea of sentient water. And it's just been waiting this entire time to get off planet (laughs) essentially.
1: Yeah, I I don't dislike that read on it. I think that you probably get into a, a bit of a wobbly territory there, though, mm. in the sense that, um, you know, if if you do want to read this as a, a commentary on colonization and whatnot, I think depicting the native as the threat to the racists is probably uh, not a good idea not great yeah <laughs> um I, I you know i and that's why like I, I don't necessarily get that read from um this i, I do think it's in- interesting though i think that anytime you can pull apart doctor who and sort of see how it works in these more um academic uh thought experiments is is really great um maybe less the maybe less like
0: i guess more so what i'm saying is like uh, we as human we as uh, you know you and i and uh, come from a A lineage of, uh, colonization in this, in this, um, country. Um, it's the same in America. It's the same throughout Asia and Africa. Um, and South America, I suppose as well. And, um, one of the, you know, one of the great things about horror is it like takes your fears and turns it back on you. And so the idea of the colonizer being colonized, I don't think this is that. I think I'm heavily reading that onto the text, um, but it it it's it's one of those things that I really enjoy seeing creatively, and even the hint of it here is enough to make me think about it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah.
1: No, I do. I do. Um, I also, I, I like that it works on that level. Um, you know, you mentioned before about cosmic horror and whatever this this thing is. Um, you know, when it does finally get its own voice and it, and it does fully take over um, Sky's body. Uh, you, you've written it down in your, your quotes here, which I, I really like. Um, so Sky is essentially, well, you know, Alien guy um, has uh started to walk around and she's trying to explain to the passengers what's going on inside the doctor's head but you know obviously it's really what's inside of her head at the time um and she has this line he's waited so long in the dark and the cold and the diamonds until you came body so hot with blood and pain and it's just it's so creepy she almost like Purs the words out there is so much sinister energy radiating from um whatever is inside of of sky and trying to sort of escape from the situation um you hate me for this but it does remind me of when Doctor Who has played with these kind of cosmic entities before I think there's a Sutek reference <laughs> because eventually once, because sky's sort of like huddled on the ground she's not able to move and then when she realises she can move, she has that exact Sutek line from Pyramids of Mars where she's like I can move and it's just so good it hits all of my little creepy buttons so well um, and I know that Doctor Who can't do these stories all the time because it would diminish how special they are but I do love when the show says there is something much bigger than the doctor at play in the universe and occasionally it will get very close to getting him
0: yes yes I I agree I agree and that's why these episodes are so special is because like for so much of the time the doctor's going around being like don't worry I can solve anything and then you get episodes like this where he comes up against this is but, like in those other examples, it's gods, right? It's like creatures of obvious um, power. This is mm. so different in that it's it if he wasn't stuck on this bus and also wasn't on a planet that would kill him if he went out onto the surface, he probably would be the exact same person. But it's these specific environmental things that have swart the situation and turned all of his usual tro uh usual devices uh against him. And I think it's like I think one of the, the notes I wrote down is like this episode proves that the doctor's uh, like proves the doctor t- proves to the doctor, sorry, that his, his specialness in a very horrible way, because by, you know, the line where he's like, where all the, the, car- the, um, passengers saying, you know, why should we follow you? You know, what so, what do you know about this? And he just screams, I'm, I'm special. No, I'm clever. That's right. Mm. Um, is like the obvious turning point where everyone's like, well, <laughs> Well, what are we then, you know? Go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, but ultimately, the creature does pick him. It does confirm that he is the most special one in the room. Um, and that's terrifying because, like, all the things that he's like... You, you know, all the times he's like, I'm amazing, I'm special, you know. Go to the library and look me up and you'll see why you shouldn't come up against me. The creature's like, yeah, that's why I'm picking on you. Because you are hmm. special and I'm going to take that from you. Oh. Yeah. And then it's you get really that good. great moment where, you know, Sky preempts the doctor's speech and you know that the it's influence is now in him and him just static and stuck on the ground like shaking, repeating, you know, you've never
1: seen him more vulnerable or more Yeah. He he looks truly terrified. Um, and it's, it's just, it's a great character moment. It's a nice humbling character moment as well. I don't think it, I mean, it, it doesn't, doesn't go on to inform anything, yeah. but it's still really good in the moment. You know? I mean, you can, you kind of have to sort of
0: imagine that, that the, the, um, the effects of this episode will just be undercurrent, under running everything. Even if he doesn't comment on it, it's like obviously shaken him a bit. Um, but yeah, it's never exactly commented Mm. on again. Maybe the doctor just becomes a bit more terrified of situations.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do uh, that ending scene you've noted in your notes here that it's, it's a bit of a downbeat ending and, and I agree it's, it's not a victory for the doctor. It's just, he got lucky that somebody else on that, Uh, boss was smart basically Uh, or Mm. that someone else was clever and and figured it out and and sort of did the right thing to to save everybody because the doctor essentially lost you know (laughs) Mm.
0: and it reminds me of like that very first season with Chris Freckleston where you know people have very much made the point that he isn't a doctor of action he inspires other people to act on his behalf and this is another example of that which we don't really get a lot in the David Tennant era because David Tennant is such a physical like you know heroic type Um, but yeah, if it wasn't for the hostess, he would have lost in this scenario. He would have probably died. Um, that's why I guess I come up against the hostess in particular, because I don't see any instances where he did inspire her. In fact, for a lot of the episodes, she's like, you know, there's that great bit. And I wrote it down in my notes where he's like, you know we found a new life and it's come here to discover us. But what if it's, what's it found? You know, this little bunch of humans and would you actually like murder her? You know, are you, are you better than that? And then there's the silence and it's the hostess that breaks it. And she says, you know, Mm. I'd do it. I'd do it. Yeah. And it, for me, that positions her as like the worst of them,
1: but yeah, mm. like she, she's the one that lets the dam break. Um, Yeah, it's uh, agreed. It's a little messy in that regard. It's a moment that I don't, I don't know. Like the rest of the episode is just so good that I can easily forgive Mm. any of these little blips. Um, But yeah, they they, they do absolutely exist. Uh, I just want to give a special shout out to when he is finally reunited with Donna. Mm. Um, They have like a really short, nice conversation. And then I think, what does he say? Um, He says- um, He's like, molto bene, and then she repeats him. Yeah. Yeah, she she repeats him back, and he's just like, no, don't don't do that, don't do that. And he just kind of like he's just thousand yards stare, mm. broken about that kind of uh, thing. And it's and that's where the it cuts to credits. You know, there, there's no you don't get like a warm hug at the end. You just get a holy shit that shook up everything, and nobody knows how to react to this. Good night, which is um, which uh, so good. It's
0: it is, and it's another subversion of the like you know the you know what that's one of the things the doctor says that. That's, you know, like the creature, the only way that, that they know the creature has taken him over is because it says Alonzi and mm. like that, I love that moment. And it's the same thing here where, um, you know, the doctor's always like saying to his companions when they try and imitate <laughs> how the like time periods and he's like, you yeah, know, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. don't, don't do that. <laughs> don't, don't, don't do that. <laughs> but here it's, it's warped into like, you know, actually don't
1: like, woof. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. It's good shit what are you giving it uh midnight is an a plus it's like blink you just you can't you can't get around it it's just one of the best episodes they've ever made um and it it truly stands the test of time
0: Mm, mm.
1: a plus two can't deny it great fantastic that was a lot of fun um (laughs) a lot of good things to talk about with midnight Uh, I guess, yeah, we will see you folks in a couple of weeks when we get started with Flux, uh, which actually, this works as a really good breaking point for series four as well, because from this point on, we are essentially in a, like, a free fall of tenants end run, um, and that includes the end of season four and also the subsequent, like, special episodes that happen afterwards, so we're gonna do Flux, gonna have a good time with that and then once that's sort of wrapped up and done we will we'll pick up again with series 4b basically um and um yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be a real f- interesting few months i'm very much looking forward to it i mean i don't think you can say
0: months it's probably gonna be a month but
1: <laughs> but yeah i mean six episodes and then month and a half uh, I'm, I'm factoring in a break because we're gonna be exhausted but oh yeah fair enough fair enough it's gonna be it's gonna be tight it is it is it is um but as always i have been james you can find me on twitter at omg more james and you can find me on twitter and instagram at theatricalum if you want to have your thoughts and feelings read on the show, please feel free to reach out on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at TwoHeartsPod, the number two, or you can email us at TwoHeartsPodcast at gmail.com, and that is to the word two. Until next time, take care of each other, be safe, and we will see you in a couple of weeks for Flux. Bye. Bye.